If you've been watching Step Outside Show, you would have noticed today or yesterday, whatever day you're listening to this to, uh, we recently had Gordon Triplett from Garmin Australia out fishing with him, fishing the shallow reefs. And, of course, with that, well, it's something a, a bit of a, I guess, a learning curve as to how to set up your sound and what you need to look for. I thought it would be an absolute fitting podcast for people out there who want to learn about this to have him online. So, Gordon, thanks for joining us, mate. How are you going? Yeah, really good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. Thanks for your time. I won't take too much of it up because, um, you know, the, the sounders and the, the, the plotters and everything that's set up by Garmin now are pretty, I guess, they're user-friendly. Go back, you know, 20 years when you had the you know a lot of other different electronics around the place is that you sort of really had to read that four-inch-thick manual, but now it's a little bit of a different kettle of fish. Explain to me, mate, the simplicities of of the way sounders work when you've got chirp and you don't have chirp, your kilohertz. I mean, tell me all about it. How does that kind of work together when you're going for, say, shallow water into deeper water? Yeah, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. With our sounders, they're, they're, they are easy to use and you don't have to continuously drive them like you, you, know, you had to with older brands or even other brands even still today. Mm. Um, we've, we've got you know, a very, very smart processor that's built into the unit that will adjust for things like depth, um, water clarity, takes into account, um, you know, temperature and all that sort of stuff. And it, it makes it a very, very, very simple unit to, to own and operate, which means that you can spend more time fishing rather than, you know, having to dial it in. But, um, but yeah, chirp technology, chirp technology advanced, Sonar in leaps and bounds. Um, it's it, it, it's a bit um, it's a bit hard to explain, but the best way that I explain it, I think, is old old technology sonar is like having your hose on and it's just dripping one constant drip. You've got the tap just open and there's a constant drip. Yeah. Chirp technology is like putting your spray nozzle on your hose and then turning the tap on flat out. Wow. So. Instead of instead of getting you know one drip which which equates to you know two hundred hertz going down, pinging off the bottom or whatever target it is, and then coming back, and and then being processed into the sonar, you've got thousands of of different um, signals being sent out, and then those signals are all different sizes, so they all hit targets differently, and they come back and they they basically get processed by the sounder differently, which then what we see on the sonar or on the screen, I should say, mm-hmm. we see that as a a picture where you can tell where there's a bait school, but that bait school might have three or four predatory fish swimming around it. And depending on the shape of that bait school and where those fish are, you might see that it's actually knocking a hole into the bait school. So you know that they're feeding. Um, you know, in years gone by, you would have, just just like a, a cloud on the screen and you wouldn't know what size fish they were. They could be, you know, meter long mackerel swimming yeah. along in a school or, or, they, or they could be just a school of yakka. So if it's just a school of yakka and there's no predatory fish there, well, yeah. you know, if, if you've got your yakka for bait already, well, you don't, you don't need to be, you know, just wasting your time there. So chirp technology has 
has given us a much better understanding of what's actually swimming beneath us and and it, it paints a much better picture on the screen. Mate, uh, and that's that's the, the beauty of this, isn't it? Because when you are fishing those shallow reefs, like we were fishing the shallow uh, inshore reefs, you'd say, is that having yep. the sounder set up properly, you can actually define the difference between, you know, the, the, the grassy sweet lip and a bait ball. You can define the difference between a shark and a turtle. I mean, you can clearly see what's happening going by by the uh, by the way the sounder is set up with your chirp on and whatnot. Mate, tell me about the, the the size of the screen that makes life easier. Should people who are setting up a sounder on their boat, say they had a six meter boat, which would be the average size boat these days, I guess, is that should they be running a single twelve inch and, and having it split in two, or should they be trying to work the most space on their dash and getting two eight inches or something, right? I mean, what what should they be? What should you be going for? Yeah, um, so it, it it comes down to a few things. Um, budget is obviously, yeah. you know, very important in, in somebody's buying decision. Um, something else to think about is how's your eyesight going? If it's anything like mine, it's getting pretty bad. <laughs> so, um, the, the the bigger the screen, the the better it is. But um, generally speaking, right, you know, some of the some of the combos are fantastic, but I still personally like multiple screens. So multiple screens. So um, like you said there, so we, we've got nine inch screens or we've got 10s, 12s or 16s, but like it, it would be probably better for those inshore reefs. If, if your boat allowed to set up two nine inch screens rather than going for a single 12, um, two nine inch screens obviously gives you, 18 inches of screen, yeah. but you can then split those screens separately. Um, and, you know, when you divide a 12 inch screen in half, you're only going to get six inches of screen. So that's six inches of sonar yeah. unless you split them horizontally. But um, yeah, it, it, it does. Um, it does tend to give you a lot more options when you go um, multiple screens. Mate, um, obviously, you know, dash size as well, super important. And, and so whatever you can fit on their budget, uh, the size of the sounder that's going to be applicable for that sort of um, region, I guess, of your boat. Should you be running a back sounder? Because you see a lot of that these days, don't you? I mean, you've got your cabin sounder, and then you might be able to put like a an eight or ten inch or something rather, or nine inch on the back area around the bait board or under your uh, if you've got a, a bit of a, a t top coming off the back end. Is that something that that you guys are recommending now as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So over the last, I would think probably three, four years, we're starting to see more and more of it. And um, actually, we just had a discussion last week about it. Um, we're starting to see um, some of the OEMs actually starting to op- option that as a um, as, as an option when you tick and flick the, the buy sheet on the boat. It, it's now part of the, the buy sheet that you can you know tick the box and, and get one down the back. But the benefits of having a sounder down the back is, is brewing. If, even on a you know six or seven metre offshore boat yeah. um, you know you're not trying to look around seats and all that sort of stuff you've got a sounder that's much closer to you if you see something while you're fishing and you're on the back deck you can mark it um, for me yeah. when we um, I'll go crabbing with um, with my young fella and I'll have the boat on autopilot while we're setting the crab pots out and the young fella sits in the seat and he thinks he's driving yeah. so I can <laughs> I can I can control the boat from the back deck, I can put the pops in the water. I can mark where the pops are going. All the while, he's happy, and I'm I'm marking 
marking where I'm dropping the pops and, you know, also taking care of the steering and everything. So it's, you know, there's lots and lots of benefits for, um, for that sort of um, thing. But yeah, screen on the back deck. Um, yeah. Seeing it a lot, lot more often. Um, a lot of boats these days are starting to do it. And um, like we've, we've got that 12 inch one on the back deck of your boat and, it's just so handy when you're fishing out on the back deck. Absolutely, mate. And, and uh, what about um, through hull, wet box, or the boot off the back? What's uh, what's a, what's a better option for sounder setup for transducers? So it, it all depends on the boat, and it all depends on how you're going to fish. Um, if if you fish, you know Morton Bay or you know close inshore reefs, then you probably don't need to go anything too elaborate. Like our, our standard GT56 transducers or a 51 will we'll do the job. And that's just a transfer mount one. It'll, it'll do the job easy. But if you want to go further afield and start, say, deep dropping for hard puka or blue eye, then you might need something with a bit more clout, a one kilowatt or even a two kilowatt. And then we start to look at those through hole options. Um, a lot of people think, through holes better than transfer mount, but once you put it in the boat, it's in the boat. There's nothing you can do to make it read better, so to speak. Um, you know, you can you can start doing custom built fairing blocks and all that sort of stuff, and you know those things definitely work. But we're talking big dollars, and it's modifications to boats. So it all comes down to you know where you're going to fish, um, what your expectations is, and it's the first thing that when we're talking to a client. We'll, we'll say to him, where do you fish? What do you fish for? And if he says that, you know, I fish 60 metres of water for snapper, well, we know that all of our transfer mount transducers are, are pretty much going to do that, no worries at all. So, yeah, it's um, you, you can spend, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands on big transducers, but it might be a complete overkill for what you want anyway. Yeah, mate, and that sounds like it would be too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in tinnies these days, whether you're brim fishing or maybe fishing the estuaries for jewies or anything like that. Is there a, you know, can you say that your, 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 uh, you know, your smaller sounders, can you still use your bigger sounders in that depth? Does a, does the uh, the pinging of the transducer scare the fish away? Is that something that we, that, that people should be aware of if they're fishing shallow waters with bigger units? Um, look, there's, there's, there's an argument to be made that, yeah, big transducers will scare fish off. I think it was probably a lot more relevant, you know, back at, back in the day when we were using old school technology. And, you know, if you used to dive or snorkel under a boat that had a, a one kilowatt transducer going, you, you would actually, you'd feel it. Like you could actually physically feel it. But um, with the chirp technology, you don't, you don't feel it. So, um, you know, what? I, I, I never turn my sounder off. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I think for me, I much prefer to know what's happening under the boat rather than turning it off and not having a clue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it, it really it really comes down to you know what what your beliefs are on that one. But I personally don't believe that it's as big an issue as it used to be. So, yeah, and um, yeah, for, for what it's worth, I, I I never turn it off, never ever. Mate, it's um, a very interesting uh, point too because uh, a lot of people do so. You know, they talk about brim fishing, in t- particularly if you're in a tinny or anything like that. But you know, brim are, are so 
you know, they're a ballsy fish. They'll come up and just eat anything generally out of your hand anyway, but they can be a bit spooky on moonlit nights and all that sort of stuff as well. Mate, um, I would like to talk a little bit about the rig that we use in those shallow inshore reefs. Now, you like to use a, a float lining kind of a rig. Uh, why do you choose to use that over, say, a standard Patanoster rig? So the ground we're fishing there, Paul, is is rubbly, but there's lots of little um little ledges and and you know areas to get hung up on. And because we drift, um, yeah, if you fish Patanoster there, you tend to snag up quite a lot. Um, also, the type of fish that we're fishing for tend to take a float line a little bit better than a Patanoster as well. So. Um, yeah, with with the grassy sweep, we've just found that a um, that a running ball rig down to a set of games, um, yeah, tends to work the best there. So um, and you know, very very rarely we get snagged. In fact, I don't think any any three of us got snagged that morning there. I don't think um, I don't think we got a snag at all. Yeah, mate, and, and no, we didn't actually. It was quite quite a good way to do it as well. And and that also just uh, depicts other reefs around the country. Is that generally, if you've got pinnacle, you know, leading off those reefs, you'll end up with some rubble and shale. Um, so you know that could be anywhere with you in Darwin or Perth or Adelaide or, or Albany. Is that these particular you know grounds, these shallow inshore grounds where the rubble comes off the pinnacle, is is a home to a plethora of fish. So if you are fishing with a float lining rig. Um, you should alternate the sinker, I guess, depending on current. As long as your rig's getting to the bottom, close to the bottom in a, a short... No, you don't want to take too long. Otherwise, you know, it'll take forever and your line's probably going to be 400 metres behind the boat. But you want to get it down there, but also the sinker gets first and then your bait floats down afterwards. Yeah, yep. Yeah, um, you, you tend to... You want to present the bait as naturally as possible, I, I guess. So quite often when we'll get there... Um, you know, and I, I fish with Drew quite a lot, but um, you know, Drew will start on say a six ball, and I'll start on a four ball, yeah. and we just sort of gauge what's going on. And you know, if he's getting more bites, then then I'll go to a six ball. And it, it, it's funny, like some mornings there, um, you know, you can have undercurrent, so there's quite a bit of current down low, but not a lot on the surface. And you look at the water, and you look at your speed, and you go, okay, well, it's we're, we're not we're not travelling that far, so I'll go with a four ball, and it's the six ball that will actually get more bites because yeah. there's a bit of undercurrent down there. So, yeah, it, it pays that if you if you can sort of mix it up a little bit um, on the boat and you know fish as a team, so to speak, um, then yeah, you'll get you'll get the benefits by by mixing it up. But that that style of float lining, um, we tend to we tend to fish that way, you know, most of the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in my job, I get to to fish a fair bit of our coastline and we, we go up to um, Caramine Beach and which is just south of Cairns and um, we go out to the Swains and like I use that exact same rig at the Swains as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's a very effective way of fishing. Yeah, and that's, mate, it certainly is. It's, it's a great way to do it. Mate, um, also, if you are going to, to fish those local reefs there and of course alternate your, your line class and your sinker weight, What's the sort of, uh, I guess, your, your leader that you want to be running? If you're fishing an area, because, you know, a lot of places around the country, if you're within that city zone, does get heavily impacted. So should you go light or realistically, depending on the structure you're fishing, otherwise you'll get you'll get dusted, no doubt, wouldn't you? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, the, the lighter you can possibly go, the more bites you'll get. 
but then when you're catching fish like those grassies, like a 30 centimetre grassy, you'll you'll get in no problems at all on say 15, 20 pounds. But then when you start catching 40 centimetre grassies, they go a bit harder and yeah. every now and again, you'll lose a fish on 20. But then, you know, like we, I think the biggest fish we got on that morning went 4.1 kilos, a pretty good grassy. Yeah. Um, you know, those fish, you're not going to stop on anything sort of less than 40 pounds. So, and we've sort of found that those those grassies, they're, they're not that finicky. When they're on, they're on. Mm. And, um, you know, you'll even get, you know, undersized fish taking a 40-pound litre. So, yeah, we, we've um, we sort of gone to 40-pound litre for most of our inshore fishing these days. Um, if I was down in the bottom end of the bay or, you know, on the 18 Fathom Reef out off the um, Gold Coast or something, I'd probably go back to the um, 20 just because I think the fish see a lot more boat action and um, yeah. and are a bit more um, hesitant to take a bait, you know. They're probably a bit more switched on to what's going on. So true, mate, so true. And what about, um, speaking of baits, what sort of um, bait do you prefer? Because, you know, you guys brought me into using dart, solitaire, something I've never used before to the point that we went dart fishing not long ago and, uh, you know, we, we bagged up a heap of fillets there from them as well to use for bait. Um, th- that's a pretty hardy bait to use. Yeah, yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head and that's why we use it. It's, it's hardy. It stays on the hook well. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, um, Drew introduced me to that only probably a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it works extremely well. But th- things like, um, you know, mullet flesh, um, any of the fish that you catch there as well. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll catch scads, yakka, um, even um, some of those scaly pilchards. We get quite a few of them there when you're jigging. So we get them. But, um, yeah, most of the time I actually fillet them. So yeah, okay. any of the fresh baits that you find in that local area, you know, um, yeah matching what they they tend to eat normally i guess is is the key yeah that's it i think it's pretty hard to go past slimy mackerel too no matter where you are fishing those baits are incredible they're incredible fish 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 jelly beans oh mate they're absolutely brilliant hey mate got to thank you for your time today mate and uh i'm going to let you uh, get rocking and rolling so you know we've covered off there the the sound of the setup you know what you should be doing there and of course you know whether you're using a, a through hull or of course off the back of the boat transom mount and of course, some rigs there. So that'll be enough to to keep everyone uh, juices flowing there. The next time they're going to go fishing, there, Gordy. Appreciate your time, buddy. Too easy, thanks, Paul. There you have it. That's uh, Gordon Triplett there from Garmin Australia. Everybody, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening to our podcast. And of course, um, if you're just getting this podcast now, which is around the beginning of uh, of May, uh, the Century Cove International Boat Show just around the corner, nineteenth to the twenty second. Jump on down, say good day. Go and see Gordy. He'll be there on the big Garmin stand. We'll be out there to have a chat with everyone as well. And uh, step outside with Paul Burt. You'll check it out on 7 Mate every weekend. Of course, we're doing repeats through Monday to Friday as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, you're Rod Bendoffin.